the tea health show your medical lifestyle podcast brought to you by the tea clinic good morning this is the tea health show i'm dr mark and in studio my right hand person sister elise van art and Today we have a new producer. Ryan, good morning. Good morning, Dr. Mark. This is the first time that you've produced for us. Ryan is usually the one that takes our photos and make me look fat. <laughs> so, um, we've often spoken about the concept and of the continuum of health. So, um, Ryan, do you want to venture a guess what the continuum of health is, seeing that you haven't been in our shows? Yes, Uh, The continuum of health, I'm assuming it's keeping healthy throughout life. Mm, Yes, you you can go there. So think of a continuum of health as a long line. Okay. Okay. So on the one extreme, you have death. And as you go to the other side, you go from death to disease to being symptomatic And in the middle of that line, you get to a point where you are asymptomatic. Right. Okay. But what we tend to forget is that from death to asymptomatic, on the other side, the line is just as long, um, going to asymptomatic, healthy, optimal health. Okay. So the topic that we've decided to discuss today is health screenings. It's not just good enough to be asymptomatic. A lot of people with high cholesterol are asymptomatic. They have no problem, but that means that they're at higher risk for developing disease. So Sister Elise and I are going to run through some health screens, which we think is important for you to do to stay not only asymptomatic, but to move towards optimal health. Right. Okay. Sister Elise, do you want to kick us off? Are we going to start with girls or boys? Um, I'm just thinking that the first thing that we need to say is it's very important to do at least once in every five years a proper health screen. doesn't matter. What From age. what age? doesn't matter what age. Okay. Mm. Ryan, how old are you? So I'm 27. Have you ever done a health screen? A full one? Probably not. not. Any health screen? Well, I do very, I do various checks. Like? So I, I go and I have to do a discovery thing where they check my blood, check my sugar, check all of that. I do the, the, the dermatology stuff, you know, the skin. Ah, uh, so you do the dermatology one. And I think this is one that we forget. We're going to get yeah. into that. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I I do think as much as I hate what Discovery does with the health (laughs) checks, you know, it's a brilliant thing because it makes people aware and um, it's a reward system, you know, which I think they jippo a little bit so that you don't get your full rewards, but at least people are screening. Um, Sister Lise? And another generalized one is vaccinations. Um. You know, there was a, I remember a period where usually kids are being vaccinated according to regulations. But at one stage, at some stage, there wasn't vaccinations available. And I think a lot of parents fell behind with their vaccinations. And I'm talking about, for instance, tetanus and diphtheria, um, MMR, which is measles, mumps and rubella. German measles. Yeah. It's very interesting that you say that. I don't know if you've been following what's happening in the news um, where the World Health Organization um, has rolled out a serious immunization and vaccination um, campaign because of the outbreak of measles in 20 countries. Now, measles is not something that for many years – you you saw um, amongst children uh, yeah. for the simple reason they were immunized against it. Do yeah. you do you can you remember the um, vaccination um, protocols? Because you know what I have to be honest. Since that we don't do a lot of pediatrics, um, I can't remember all of them. I know that you start 
right from birth up no. to about eight. Yeah, I know. We were immunized at school. Do you remember that? Six years old, you were yeah. immunized. You had to go and stand and mean the school nurse will make you cough and she would give you your injection and um, all you want to do was pee your pants, but not in front of the other boys. <laughs> so were you immunized? I'm, Did you guys have immunization drives at school? I don't think so. Not that I can r- remember off the bat. It was mandatory back yeah. in our day. Well, I, I think it was basically mandatory. Everyone did it. No one asked. It was, yes. True that. Okay, I think we can start off and, and I think I found with my research it's very interesting that these age groups for different um, health screens that one needs to do as well as gender um, division or separation. Can, can I, may I interject? So before we get to the age groups, Elise, can we run through the most important ones? Um, yes, we can. I- that we, that we should do from 40 onwards. Okay. All right. Let's- Shall we start with women? Yes. We because can. they overlap quite a bit. Actually, this, yes, they overlap. So I'm just thinking about bone health, for instance, and that's where an overlap is as well. One tend to think that only females has a bone health issue after because of menopause, but men also does get osteoporosis. So um, if there's a family history of spontaneous or fractures of the hip, etc., if you're a male or a female, then you need to be screened. I, I actually want to tell you what happened to my father. So my father was a Springbok gymnast, He played contact sport, running, jumping, all those things right into his 40s. But at the age of 40, he started with severe pain in his hip. And um, eventually he went to the doctor and he had not just osteopenic hips, but started getting avascular necrosis of the hip. Mm. So when you talk about bone health, um, I think it's incredibly important because it really is something that that we all forget and miss. It's we're seeing it earlier and earlier yes. through um bad diets and bad habits. And something else, steroid use. Cortisone you mean? Steroid. Steroids as long term steroid use. Anabolic like an steroids. Anabolic steroids. Your gym guys. Yes. yes, because that will eat away at bone. Yeah. Uh, body weight, low body weight, smoking, heavy alcohol use, and having a fracture after the age of 50 or a family history of fac- fracture or osteoporosis. That's in males as well. So, um, men needs to know it's not only woman, woman that's frail. They can be frail as well. Okay. So okay. let's check. How do you do that test? Because you know what? People think it's a big invasive thing. It's actually not. No, I was there expert. yesterday. It was like amazing to go for that. So they, the first thing is it's a big machine that walks or, or slides around, etc., etc. They use your forearm, your non-dominant forearm. They first have a questionnaire. For instance, um, is there family history of fractures? Uh, do you smoke? Do you drink alcohol excessively? Then a list of medication, which I'm not familiar with. But the one thing they also ask, are you using estrogen? So that's very important, um, especially for menopausal and postmenopausal women. Um, and then they screen your your non-dominant forearm and put you on your back, check your hip um, joints, and then they check your lower back and then do measurements, etc., to check what is your bone density. Non-invasive, it's a very easy test, and it's even not expensive. So I was just going to ask you, does that form part of your normal medical screen? Yes, it does. Um, that your medical aid would cover? Yes, it does. But okay. they say if there's no 
issues, you need to go at least every five years for this screen. Okay. If you have issues, you need to discuss it with your health care provider so that there's motivation mm. included in that for the I, medical aid to I pay. like the fact that you started with men and that you brought the bodybuilders vacuum steroids into this for one reason. Men forget that estrogen for us is essential for two reasons. One, bone mineralization. Without estrogen, you can't mineralize your bones. And I think a lot of the guys in the gym um, that use steroids use aromatase inhibitors and estrogen blockers yes. um, that further decrease the bone mass. And the second thing where estrogen is incredibly important is it protects us against cardiovascular disease. Yeah. Okay, so bone health for both men and women. And this is something that um, you should start from about 50, maybe 45, if you have a family history of fractus or osteoporosis. True that. Or if you have any of the comorbidities um, like low weight or you smoke, et cetera, et cetera, or you use steroids or cortisone yep. um, for a long time. Okay, so that's bone health. I just wanted to ask. With regards to that test you're talking about, why the non-dominant arm? Because you use, uh, that's, that's a good question. If you, they also ask you if you do heavy weight training. Right. Your dominant arm is the one that works harder and the more pressure you put on your bones, you, you make more new bone. So your non-dominant arm doesn't work as hard as your dominant arm. So it will differ with the um, test. So uh, are are they saying the non-dominant arm is what the average bone in your body would look like? So very interesting fact. Um, When we look at aesthetics, okay? Yes. um, And we look at... um, the frown lines, those 11s that form between your eyebrows. Mm. Okay. So if you have a person that frowns a lot, that scowls a lot, that angry frown, um, if you go and look at the bone there, the bone in that area where the muscle plants in on the bone mm. is thicker for a simple reason Muscle action, contraction of muscle stimulates osteoblast, osteoblast, osteoblast formation. In other words, it stimulates the cells to form new bone just by muscle contraction. Right. So it's, it's very interesting how muscle use activates bone formation. So, um, very important thing to remember. You will, for instance, see people that tap their heels continuously have far stronger bones right through their body than someone that sits still. Really? Yeah. So I'm stopping irritated with Johnny. <laughs> yes, because if you're bouncing your okay. heels, how many times <laughs> have you sat in my office where I said to people, just bounce know, your heels? I know, I know. Um, <laughs> because just light impact like that or standing on a little trampoline, those little and just gently bouncing on the trampoline is enough to stimulate bone formation. You see, now that seems discouraged. And I, I, I know in, well, in my school, at least, if somebody was doing that, they think you're anxious. Yeah. And so then they're constantly Oh, you so usually, people, you, you know. usually are, but you know, but at least you'll have healthy bones. <laughs> okay. Next one, Sister Elise. Okay. The general ones. General one. Now we're going to females, breast health. Um, that is very important, especially if there's a family history of uh, breast cancer. doesn't matter if it's direct family. If it's twice removed, it's still a risk factor for So health. twice removed, it would be what? Your mother's aunt? My mother's aunt. sister or my mother's aunt. Yeah. Aunt. Yes. Yeah. Direct, direct line. So, for instance, your grandmother's sister. Yes, exactly. Okay. So let's just quickly talk about breast examination, Elise. Um, when we did our research and currently I think it's from the Cancer Association of America, the American Cancer Association. 
recommends that we do a mammogram every two years, or has it gone up to every it's, three years? It's one to two years. Every two years from the age of 50. Now, I don't agree with that. Uh, I've got another thing, yeah, and it's from the age of 40. What is interesting for me, you do a mammogram from the age of 40. Um, if you are between 18 and 39, we call that the reproductive age, you do self-examination at least once a month. And at least once a year by a trained medical professional. Okay. What people, what we see, and I think if you ask around, you will see that more and more younger women, and we're talking about women younger than uh, 45, starts presenting with or is being diagnosed with breast cancer. And usually that diagnosis came after they've identified, this is not with a mammogram necessarily, but they um, notice changes in the breast. And here we're looking at breast lumps or even retraction of skin or um, some kind of discharge from the nipple. Yes. And by that stage, it's usually quite far spread. So, Breast examination. Elise, do you want to maybe run us through how you could do your own breast examination at home? Yeah. I know there's wonderful videos now on, on, um, YouTube that shows you exactly, but just give us an idea. It's freely available, the information, but what is very important is to do it at a specific time every month. A specific time meaning if it's the first day of your menstruation, do it on the first day of your menstruation. If it's the middle of your menstruation cycle, do it then. Because you need to get familiar with how your boobies look and how it feels. So that you are the one that can identify, okay, these changes. And um, Ryan, do you want to venture a guess? Why Elise said that you have to do it at the same time in your cycle. I'm, are we talking about the same time in the day or the same no, time? Same no. time in your Remember, menstrual cycle. Oh, right. cycle is 28 right. to 32 days. Why do you think we should do it at the same time in the cycle? Um, because I'm assuming it'll be in a similar, it, it'll, it'll be in a similar sort of position or it'll be at that sort of constant every Yes, because um, your breasts, if you're a girl, you will know this. As you progress through your cycle, your breasts either swell, they become a little bit tender as you get closer to ovulation, etc., etc., because of the influence of your hormones, either estrogen and or progesterone on breast tissue. So doing it at the same time, Makes uh, makes very good sense. Who do you think notices breast lumps first or changes in breast tissue? No idea. Okay. Do you have a girlfriend? I don't. You don't. Okay. Right well, now, when no. you have a girlfriend, believe me, <laughs> oh, you will okay, know I her see. boobs I see where you go. better than she does. So the people that notice changes in breast tissue is usually the partner. And I always tell, and I, Elise, can we go over to the next one for the boys? Yeah. After this. Um, if you don't know what's normal, how the hell are you going to know what, when there's a change? Hmm. Okay. So, um, we've done the girls' breasts. So what do boys have that can girls I don't just, have? Can I just add with the examination? Yes. Um, it's very important to know how your boobies look. Because you have to look for your, at yourself in the, in the mirror. So in other words, stand in front of Stand them. in front of a mirror, look at your boobs, admire them because, I mean, they are so special. Why not look at them and look properly? And then also, yeah, and put your hands behind your head and see if there's inconsistencies or if the one is bigger than the other one. If it's normal, it's normal because not, nothing is the same on our left side and on our right side. 
The other thing that's important is don't squeeze your boobs because you are going to feel lumps or whatever. It's a soft touch that you will notice if there's changes. With flat fingers. With flat fingers. So you basically, you take your four fingers and if you look at your finger, you don't touch with the tips of your fingers. You touch with the second lid on your fingers and the third one. So it's, it's a flat movement. Yeah, rolling. It's, it's not poking. And it's not it's squeezing. It's almost slightly rubbing. Yeah. Um, Elise, can we just add to that, um, the distribution of breast tissue? Because women often think that, um, breast tissue is only in their boobs. Yes, absolutely. So we have sort of, I want to call it columns in our boobs, which is a little duct that runs to the nipple. So you will feel certain areas has got denser breast tissue than other areas. But what is very important, there's a tail of breast tissue that goes to our underarms. Right into your oxal. Yeah, into your oxal, in your armpit. And you need to go and look. And feel there as well. That is where the drainage and the glands sit as well. And need to feel if I feel something strange there. Just mind if you use, a, I want to say, say a chemical deodorant, it can inflame that glands in the armpit as well. So please go as natural without chemicals. Dove. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. Are, are you saying general? Are you saying just for when you, like, no, that day you're testing? Always. In general, Always. Yeah. Right. yeah. People are getting scared because they feel this lump in their armpit and then it's actually the deodorant that has a de- right. reaction to But guys, if you're unsure, go and have exactly. it checked out. Yeah. Now, um, while we on breasts, guys, Men get breast cancer too, and it's far more prominent and prevalent than what you think. So for men, exactly the same thing. You also need to do a breast exam from time to time. If there's um, any kind of change in the breast tissue, either a sensitivity or there's an itching that wasn't there before, um, if you start seeing a little bit of swelling or protrusion, uh, that, you know, but I'm getting man boobs. Um, you need to make sure that you examinate or ex, um, examinate your, your, your breast tissue as well. And the same goes here, that breast tissue extend into the arm. Yeah. Would you recommend similar to like what I have to do when I go to the skin? Uh, to, for the dermatology stuff, like taking pictures and keeping track. Oh, absolutely. Like keep them, cause I mean, if, if normally if I see something in my skin that's developing, it's always recommended I take pictures every, yes, every you know, week, but, week or um, so. We, yeah. we're going to talk about that when we look at skin because we forget skin. So yes, absolutely. If there's something that you're not sure about, and this is why we say, you need to know what is normal. So if it's a visual thing that you can visualize, take a photo because it's easy then to see, oh, but it doesn't look the same anymore. Um, but if it's something that you can't just take a snapshot of, you need to become familiar with it. So um, if I put you in a dark room and you're going to stumble over things because you don't know where they are, but if you if you know exactly how it should feel, <clears throat> you're going to notice a change very quickly. Right. Um, so then Denise, we're going the to men. Okay. So Ryan, what do boys have that girls don't have? A penis. And. Uh, I'll help you. Yes. Testicles. There we go. <laughs> I couldn't think of the word. There we go. So, um, guys, uh, testicular cancer is one of the most common cancers in young men up from about the age of somewhere 15, usually about a little bit later, 18 to the age of 30. Um, it's probably, we spoke on one of our, um, podcasts, I think it was about two years ago or a year ago 
we spoke about testicular carcinoma. Now, it's not one of our most fatal cancers, but it has a very, very big impact on your life because how you deal with it is you remove the testicle. That's how you deal with testicular cancers. If you like your balls, you will examine them on a regular basis. Come on, all of us copper feel while we in the shower. Just thinking you are doing it. Yeah, but case. we're not playing with our, our testicles. We you, play with you. other stuff. <laughs> testicles are sensitive. A lot of guys don't like them touched. So, um, examine them for the following. Number one, is there any change that you can see? In other words, is there a swelling or a discoloration of your scrotum or your testicles that wasn't there before? Is both there? That's the thing. First thing I would Yeah, think. I think that you would know that from a young age. <laughs> no, but <laughs> we'll, can, we'll, I promise you, you we'll notice if one's gone. You can develop an inguinal hernia. Yeah, but you, you know what? You will notice that. Again, okay. if there's any change. Number two, now actually go and feel for any sensitivity. We all know what is nice, what's pleasurable when someone handles your, your testicles. If that change, if suddenly, oh, you know what? Um, that wasn't like that before. Have it checked out. Now we look at the structure of a testicle itself. Feel for lumps and bumps, not only in the scrotum, but the actual testicle itself. Now the testicle has a, a, a funny little tail that runs behind and on top of it and all the way up into your groin. And we call that your epididymis vas deferens. Well, actually not the vas deferens. It's your epididymis and your spermatic cords. Now, take a look at this. Um, um, Ryan, I'm going to try and explain it to you. All right. If you look at your testicle from the front. Right. Okay. So you're looking at my testicles, for instance. If you should slide your fingers from the front backwards, Around the testicle, you'll feel at the back that there's rope-like structures. Okay? So do that. Stand, slide your, your fingers over your testicle. Feel for the rope-like structures. Feel if there's any little hard lumps in them, whether they are sensitive. And then follow that rope to the side and up. Otherwise, in other words, into the groin area because it goes all the way into um, your lower abdomen, basically. Pelvic so area, um, that's how you do a testicular examination. And we should be doing this on a regular basis. Again, most of us take a shower. But what do they feel for? Lumps, bumps, changes in sensitivity. Swelling. Yeah, because you do get um, varicose veins sometimes. Varicose seals, hydrocele seals, seals yeah. all of those. So what's and a varicose vein? It it is. It's what do you say? It's a. It's, it's think about varicose veins on your grandmother's legs. Oh, like those thick, those big, yeah, thick, thick purple. So that's yes. a varicose seal. Yes. A hydrocele is With where your testicles just suddenly start swelling. It's usually not that painful initially, um, but you know what? It really can size, grow to the size of a, a, a an orange, yeah. which is quite uncomfortable. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So we've done bone density. We have taken a look at breast examination. We've lo- taken a look at um, testicular examination. Yeah, so whatever that- ones, Elise, that um, the the silent killers, and here I'm thinking the stuff that a GP should take a look at every single time that you come into. Yeah, that's your blood pressure. Your Sugar metabolism or or glucose levels, as well as your your cholesterol levels, and then very important, not every time you need to do this every time is like Ryan does watch his moles, watch his skin condition, mm. and um, you have to actually have a yearly follow up on skin examinations. That was like for me something that I didn't know. 
Okay, so shall we, let's go and look at skin. So Ryan, you go to your dermatologist on a yearly basis, I get yes. it, I take it. Why, why did you decide to go? Is it because, because you are fair and a ginger or is it, um, this is just something that I need to do? Well, honestly, I'm going to start off by saying I have a very paranoid mother from a young age. So I started there, but <laughs> thanks, mum. Yeah. <laughs> but as, as I started going more and more, my, my dermatologist would say to me, look, I need you to come back. These are, you know, he has photographs. These are what we need to look at next time. And maybe we needed to cut this out, whatever. Okay. And so every year I just. Okay. So, so. skin examination. You literally. I, I'm fair skinned it, as well. Yes. You literally. You are fair skinned. Fair skinned. Yeah. yeah. If you are Fitzpatrick one or two, in other words, if you are, if you are, um, have red hair with milky white skin, like, you know, at that girl in the Cadbury's ad, Irish girl, um, this is something that you really need to do. You know you cannot go into the sun because you burn yeah. and then peel. Now, sun damage is cumulative. It starts happening from the day that you are born. And what we tend to forget is that the damage caused is by ultraviolet radiation, which you get standing under ultraviolet light, tan cans, sun, computer screens, etc., etc. It's all around us and you can't avoid it. So how do you do this examination? When your dermy looks at you, where do they start? Um, start from the chest side and then to sort of the back. So they, they start here. Do you know where is one of the most common places to get a melanoma? Where? On your legs. Interesting. So when you do a skin examination, guys, get your spouse, your friend, whoever – to look at you from your toes in between your toes, up your legs, front and back, mm-hmm. bum, back, chest, face, scalp, mouth, inside your mouth is also incredibly. Really? Mm-hmm. Yes, you get melanoma of the lip and please do not forget your ears. Take photos. It's a brilliant way of comparing changes to moles, either color or um, the shape that it's in. Is it growing or not? Is it red? Is it brown? Is it black? Is it blue? So take the photos. We call it mole mapping. And certain dermatologists have this wonderful, wonderful device uh, called a mole mapper, which literally is a glorified photo. And If there's a change, what they will do is they will continuously follow up to see whether there's changes. So just to put um, back into um, the skin thing, if you start having little dry flaky spots of skin um, that comes and goes, you need to get to a dermatologist. Mm. Okay, We call these solar keratoses and vapor. Proceed. It's a precancerous condition, and they change over to basal cell carcinomas, um, etc., etc. But um, in one of our next uh, dermatology talks, uh, talks we'll be talking with Dr. Pulile Mpofu about identifying and treating of skin cancer. Um, Elise, let's go to blood pressure and cholesterol. Ryan, what's a what's a normal blood pressure? Okay, this I this I don't know. <laughs> Have you ever tested your blood pressure? Yes, and okay. normally I'm quite a stressed out person, so my blood pressure is not normally regulated. Ah, but that's a problem. It is. It's it's something I'm working on. So, um, Elise, normal blood pressure. I I actually spoke to you about it um, a couple of days ago. I think it was Friday. Yeah. With the um, American Heart Association and the Cardiology Association published the latest um, consensus on what high blood pressure is. So when we look at blood pressure, we have two readings. We have a high reading, which we refer to as your systolic blood pressure, and a lower reading, which is your diastolic blood pressure. Now, um, it's... Widely accepted 
that a normal blood pressure is below 140 for the top measurement and below 90 for um, your diastolic blood pressure. Do you agree with this No, not at all. Okay, I'm happy that you don't. In our days, normal blood pressure was 120 over 80. And I think they... I think they're going back to that now. The the new stats saying 120 to 129 over. This is where they start classifying you as a type 1 hypertensive and a type 2 yes. hypertensive. But when they looked at that, they said it's too confusing. Mm. Um, I agree with you. I think a blood pressure going close to 140 is already too high. Yeah. Um, for a simple reason, it's exactly what Ryan just said. Um, stress releases two hormones. Well, a hormone and um, one neurotransmitter. So the neurotransmitter that's released in a stress reaction is adrenaline. And what adrenaline does is it elevates the blood pressure as well as your pulse rate immediately. The problem comes in when that happens frequently, that adrenaline causes damage to blood vessels. Yeah. Um, and also in the adrenaline reaction, you start releasing fat and glucose into the bloodstream, which is our inflammatory components leading to inflammation of your blood vessels tightening and stiffening them. So um, stress is a big contributor mm-hmm. and as well as cortisol. Now, all of us just having to deal with traffic in the morning because of load shedding, elevate our cortisol levels. Now, we do this on a daily basis. It's not supposed to happen like that. So our tendency to develop hypertension is greater. And with hypertension, it's silent and now you start getting cardiovascular disease. It's also called the silent killer because you're not aware actually how many times your blood pressure is high during the day. Mm-hmm. And during those episodes, you're causing damage to heart tissue, vein, uh, arteries, etc., etc. Kidneys. Your kidneys. Your eyes. Yep. All of those. That's very important. Yeah. Let's get to the eyes. That is something that I think all of us neglect is going for an eye test um, once a year. Especially if you have comorbidities like high blood pressure, like diabetes, because that is where the most, the back of the eye is called the retina, retina, and that's where the damage is starting with high blood pressure, cholesterol, sugar, um, elevated levels of sugar, etc. So if you have a good optometrist, and I'm not talking about an eye specialist, I'm talking about your normal optometrist. If your optometrist is worth their salt, they will diagnose your hypertension or your insulin um, and glucose um, dysregulation before you know about it. So um, the other thing that we need to test with our eye test is the pressure in the eye, a normal glaucoma screaming. Yeah. Um, and um, Ryan, have you ever had your eyes tested? Um, in terms of like, what, like going for glasses and things like that, yes. But and you're not wearing glasses, I see. No, so I, I wear glasses when I work on a computer. Okay. So if I'm working on something right in front of me. So during that test, did they do a little puff of air? Yes. Okay, so that's the deform- deformation of the cornea. And what we do with that is we check your um, – it's a fairly okay test to screen for um, glaucoma. So I test Elise from the age of, I would say – Starting at mid school, well, actually, at least because yes. people are spending more and more time on nearby devices on our phones, on our iPads, and our computers. Yeah, so it's not okay. I'm starting to battle to see when you start going for your eye test. I would actually say that from about mid school, so standard six, standard seven, once a year, maybe once every two years to, to just go for a routine eye examination. It's very interesting when we get to the age of about 40, our eyes deteriorate rapidly. Um, so 
it's something that you should put in um, on on a yearly basis. Um, the one that we haven't touched on is blood glucose and cholesterol levels. Yep. Yes. Um, so, Ryan, when you went to Discovery for your health check, they um, did the finger prick for both cholesterol and your glucose. So it's random cholesterol and random glucose. Yes. Okay. So this, guys, is something that um, we need to add once a year. Yes, um, that is especially when you have um, family history of heart attacks and strokes. That is a very important test to do. And, you know, um, let's get back to the health screenings done by the medical aides. They, I think the upper limit, help me, is five uh, on a blood test. On a fasting blood test. On a fasting blood test. Is cholesterol 5? Yeah. Right. Um, And when you are 5.1, they will penalize you because your cholesterol is high. I don't know if one of you have been through that, trying to explain or trying to not feel like a child being punished because (laughs) your cholesterol is high. You know what, Elise, I like like what you've just said because very often – when we do a full-on lipogram, and guys, a full-on lipogram, you need to do fasting. Some people would say that you don't. In my opinion, you have to do them fasting. We look at the distribution of different types of cholesterol. It's not only your total cholesterol. Um, it, uh, historically, we know about three types of cholesterol. Your HDL cholesterol or high-density lipoproteins, your um, LDL cholesterol, which is low lipid density, and your VLDL. Now, what else makes up total cholesterol is your free fatty acids, um, and those are triglycerides. Now, we there's a calculation that you make. You add them together in a certain ratio, um, and sometimes in healthy individuals, your HDL cholesterol is high and high would be anything above 1.7. But I've had patients in my office with um, HDL cholesterols of 2.6 and it's generally accepted as the cholesterol that protects us against cardiovascular disease. So often that one is high and you have a normal Distribution in your other cholesterols, but that can give you an elevated total cholesterol. So, therefore, we recommend not just a finger prick test, but it's a it's a fairly okay screening test. Um, but in my practice, if I do my patients annual medical, I would ask for a fasting lipogram. So, Elise, let's. I think that is the most common test that we all know we need to do. Something I would like to touch on is. Um, colorectal screening, meaning your colon, your digestive system. Something that I found very interesting is that from a certain age, and I'm not sure which age, you need to start doing a fecal screening test. And not a, not necessarily a colonoscopy, but, um, a yearly fecal test if there's history. Or occult blood, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I found that very interesting. Well, um, I find it very interesting because I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Um, and that's something that we don't think of to do as a patient that I need to check for this. And we've been talking about gut health many times on this show and um, how to prevent being constipated, how to prevent being bloated, etc., etc. Uh, I think it's important that people need to know they need to look for occult blood is what, Dr. Ma? Occult blood is blood which you can't visualize. Yes. So um, we see that in some um, parasitic infections or when you have small polyps, etc., etc., 
high up. They say if you have IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, diverticulosis, diverticulitis, then polyps as well. You need to go regularly for your colonoscopy or a flexible sigmoidoscopy. Flexible sigmoidoscopy is just the end part, basically, of your colon, lower end, lower end of your colon and your rectum. Yes, so that is also something people need to. Well, actually, let's put it out there, Elise. Every single person from the age of, I think they said 60, hey? Yeah. Um, I would recommend from the age of about 50, 50 every five years, years. you should go for a colonoscopy. Yeah. If there's a family history of colon cancer, this should be done from an earlier age. Um, I would recommend if you have um, a close relative, either a, a brother or a sister, a father or a mother, even a grandparent who died from colon cancer, that you start doing your first colonoscopy the moment you realize anyone in your family has been diagnosed with yeah. colon cancer and then do them every – I wouldn't leave it for five years. I would do them every Two to three years, if you have a history, or or at least a stool sample. Stool sample. Um, It's it's one of the most common cancers, and it's also one of the most dangerous cancers for a simple reason: it's diagnosed late. It presents late. Um, and by the time that it's presenting, it's usually spread. So uh, colonoscopy is very high on your list. Yeah, I do think we've touched on the most important ones. Um, uh, but Let's we, go back to the women. Yes, so that is your reproductive organs or intimate area. Um, women need to know that they have to have a pap smear done. And here we, here we screening for cervical cancer. Yes. Um, now one of the most common causes of cervical cancer is a sexually emitted, uh, tri- um, disease. Um, and the virus that does this is called human papillomavirus. Now, Elise, um, we need to add to this that we think cervical cancer is prevalent. Actually, anal cancer is more prevalent than cervical cancer. And because of HPV. Because of HPV. So if you ever had anal sex, whether you have a a guy having sex with guys or you're a girl having anal sex with a guy, you also need a smear test um, like you would do with cervical um, cancer, a normal pap smear. You will do an anal brush. At least, well. at least, um, you can get immunization against against HPV, which they start at a very early age. I think they're starting now. At, um, they've moved it from fifteen to thirteen, and when they started with the immunization drive, it was I think about ten, twelve years ago. Yes. Um, it was only for girls. It's now widely accepted that we should immunize and, boys as and well. And we want to recommend everybody just to go. Every single one. Because. So if you are sexually active, some or another time, you most probably were exposed to HPV and yes, go for your immunization. And that, and I want to go again to immunization. Something interesting that I found is it's recommended for people of my age, my ripe age. So 60 and above. Yeah, actually from 50, um, to go for a shingles. Immunization. That's herpes zoster. Herpes zoster. Believe me, if you've ever had shingles, it's something that you want to avoid because it's incredibly painful and the symptoms can continue for months and yeah. they are debilitating beyond belief. Yes. So, um, an HPV one. Um, let's quickly, we're jumping around a bit. Yes. We're all, almost There's so many to things that, that we want to discuss. Show. We haven't spoken about <laughs> blood glucose. Yeah. Um, 
here, Ryan, you also had uh, your glucose tested. Now, that was the random fingerprint test. When we look at a random glucose, a random glucose should be below seven unless you've just had a donut. Right. Um, so if you're going to go for the screening, I would advise you to do this screen um, on your way to work at your pharmacy or um, someone who you know is a diabetic that has um, a little test kit and a monitor and you do it first thing in in the morning um, and you can repeat it two hours after you've eaten. So a random um, or a fasting glucose should be below six, definitely below 6.3 and two hours after you've eaten, it should drop down to below 11. Um, so it's something that all of us should do because we are seeing an increase in the diagnosis of type 2 diabetics, um, f- increasing due to obesity, mm-hmm. lifestyle, um, thyroid dysfunction, and lo and behold, stress. stress. Yes. So uh, <clears throat> your glucose test as well. One that I think most of us try and shy away from is your biannual dental checkup. Exactly. <laughs> When's the last time that you've been to the dentist? Okay, so <coughs> recently I literally went because I hadn't gone since the COVID era yeah. because I was I was very worried. <coughs> so I didn't go for a good two or three years. And so I had to go and I've caught up on about seven appointments. In the last month. It's goodness. Okay. <laughs> Seven appointments that could have been avoided. That could have been avoided. <clears throat> if you've gone for your six months. I remember, you know what, I was very, very lucky growing up. We had the most gentle giant of a dentist. And it was such a pleasure going to him. My mom would pick us up after school uh, twice a year. And you would quickly go and jump in the chair um, and Dr. Philomabra would look and say everything is fine or you would find a cavity and fix it and you had no symptoms. The problem with gum and dental disease is that it causes inflammation and leads to chronic conditions like severe sinusitis um, <clears throat> and because it's a chronic condition, it places inflammation in the body. So, your dental screening every six months, just pop in, or at least if you don't see the dentist, see the hygienist. Yes. For a cleaning, right? Yeah. But net, not, not only just for a cleaning, it's actually, you know, what they will identify. Oh, my God, there's gum disease. If there's gum disease, there's a problem. Mm. So, um, Elise, are we missing anyone? Let's run through them. The ones that you should be doing on a regular basis and that you can do without checking in with your healthcare provider, you can do this at the gym, you can do it at the pharmacy, is screening of your blood pressure, normal blood pressure below 140 and below 90 for those two measurements. If you have any comorbidities, if you have weight that you're carrying, Etc. Etc. Um, you should do them regularly, and then we would like the the blood pressure to be lower. I would say the blood pressure on treatment where you aim for is it no higher than 130 over um, 85. Then cholesterol, blood glucose, skin, testicular examination. Breast examination. Now we get to the doctor and here we start thinking of your cancer screens. Elise, the one that we haven't touched on for the guys is prostate, prostate cancer. And guys, I want you to just for two minutes, stop what you're doing and listen to what I'm saying. So it's generally accepted that if you go for your annual checkup, your GP is going to do a PSA or prostate-specific antigen blood test. Okay, kumbaya. And that's where it stays, kumbaya. The frightening statistics are that 10% of men 
let me let me just go back. A normal PSA would be between zero point five and four. The frightening statistics start that ten percent of men with a PSA of less than one will have prostate cancer. Not develop, will have prostate cancer. The statistic gets worse. 25% of men with a normal PSA of below 4 will have prostate cancer. And if your PSA goes over 4, 50% of those patients will be diagnosed with prostate cancer. So a normal PSA, according to me, is not a sensitive enough screening test to do. From the age of 45, you need to visit your urologist every couple of years for a, hey, I'm just here for a checkup. And today the urologists have beautiful tools like flow meters and very tiny sonar probes, which is far more comfortable than a finger up your bum, um, that can visualize the prostate. So this is an incredibly important screening test that we don't want to forget. Girls should start doing their pap smears, Elise, from the time that they are sexually active. So that's about from the age of 21, at least once a year. Um, we need to think of cardiac health, um, maybe do a, an ECG or a stress ECG, I would say, from the age of 45 onwards, once a year. If you have a family history of cardiovascular disease, in other words, anyone in your family who had a stroke um, or a heart attack, maybe that should be done a little bit more frequently. Um, your thyroid test, at least every five years if there's no con concerns. Yeah, I think one of the things that we're diagnosing in the practice on a daily basis is subclinical hypothyroidism. And right. this is, again, related to stress lifestyle, obesity, menopause, and repose. That's very important as well, <coughs> to know your weight and your height. Oh, the, this... the body mass index, yes. which we all hate. So yeah. um, thank you for bringing that one up. A better way of screening for obesity is, and this is something that you can do at home, is your hip-to-waist ratio. So... All you do is you can take a piece of string. You don't even need to have a tape measure. You measure your hip circumference, and this is over your hip bones on the side, okay? Um, and now you measure your waist circumference, and this is the circumference around your belly button. And... If it starts going that your waist is bigger than your hips, it's the first sign of obesity. And obesity can point to serious underlying conditions like insulin resistance, which will develop into diabetes, etc., etc. Yeah. So I think we've ran through. We, mental, we're running out of time. Mental health screen, I just <clears throat> Quick okay. touch on mental Tell us. screen. Anxiety is prevalent nowadays. Stress is prevalent nowadays. If you are concerned and or somebody is saying, why are you so anxious all the time? Go and get yourself help. Go and I, see your healthcare professional. I am um, on Tuesday evening. This was my Valentine's present to Stefan and myself was that on Tuesday evening I presented at a symposium on stress. And what was so amazing afterwards when um, we were having dinner, there was about 70 people. Um, everyone was talking about, oh, my God, they've recognized all the signs and symptoms of chronic stress. In themselves um, Elise I think um, We should make a podcast uh, On absolutely. identifying and management Of 
of stress, but we'll do that. Yeah. So, um, guys, if we've managed to get across to you that on that continuum of health, asymptomatic doesn't mean that you are healthy. There's basic screening tests. Most of them do not need to involve um, a trip to your GP. It can be merely going to your clinic at Diskim or Clicks. You can even do these at the gym. And most of them you can do yourself at home. Please follow them if you want to know more. If, if you think that you have a problem, contact your healthcare provider or you can come and see us at the T-Clinic in Bryanston or in Rimschlanger. The number is 010-824-1393. Next week, um, we are back and we're looking at skincare. And I'll be joined by um, the Managing Director of Evolution Cosmetics, Victoria Wagner. Um, so that's coming up next week. Sister Elise, thank you. Ryan, thank, thank you. you for filling thank in for some beware. Oh, thank you guys. That was awesome. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.